Welcome to Building Conversations, a construction podcast powered by the STO Building Group. On today's episode, Sage Steele, EOP and Controls Manager at LF Driscoll, speaks with Blaine Stoddard, President and CEO of BFW Group, and Mike Delaney, Executive Vice President of LF Driscoll, about LF Driscoll's fresh approach to creating a more diverse and inclusive atmosphere in construction. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Sage Steele, and I am the EOP and Controls Manager on the Penn First Project here in Philadelphia. I've been with LF Driscoll for about 16 years, and I am currently our project's Economic and Opportunity Plan Manager, and I also manage various financial and compliance functions at the project. Uh, for those of you that are not aware, Penn First is a $1.5 billion IPD hospital being built for the University of Pennsylvania here in West Philadelphia. Today, I'm joined by Executive Vice President of Elf Driscoll, Mike Delaney, and CEO of the BFW Group, Blaine Stoddard, to discuss diversity and inclusion in the architectural, engineering, construction industry. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Sage. Um, I'd like us to get started, and you can give us a little background on yourselves and your roles at, the com- at your companies. Mike, if you could begin for us, please. Sure. Thanks, Sage. Um, thanks for having me. So, I've been with the company since 1983. I started as a messenger, worked my way up, and now I'm an executive vice president. Uh, I'd spend most of my time through the estimating department. But now in my uh, role in the leadership of the company, um, I do help and lead most of the diversity efforts for the company. And I'm, I'm really pleased to be part of today's podcast. And I'm equally as pleased to be here with somebody who's helped me and helped Driscoll be a market leader in DNI. Blaine Stoddard. And Blaine, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about BFW? Thanks, Mike. Uh, thanks, Sage, for having me. My name is Blaine Stoddard. I run BFW Group. BFW provides construction administration, construction project management, cost estimating and scheduling, QAQC, quality control. We provide project engineers, and we work with owners, and we work with large construction project managers in the greater Philadelphia region. We're very proud to partner with LF Driscoll, and we're proud to be here. Thank you both so much for that. So let's just get right into it. So diversity and inclusion hasn't always been a point of focus in our industry. How has the construction industry approached diversity and inclusion in the past? And have you seen a shift to that in recent years? So, you know, diversity and inclusion in construction has been around, you know, at least most of my career, you know, in the mid 80s, we started it. And it was a very prescribed process. You know, you have outreaches, you uh, solicit bids, you take bids, you define low bidders, you award to the low bidder, you hope it's a diverse contractor, and you do your best to shepherd the diverse contractor through the work. But it wasn't like it is now. There has been a shift in the world. And a a good diverse company president gave me a, a quote the other day that kind of embodies what the new attitude is. And, and and what it is, is diversity is a fact, inclusion is a choice. And I think today that's where we have to be, is inclusion is a choice. That pres- prescribed method that we did for the last 25 years only led to so much and so little success. It didn't build a lasting industry and uh, supply chain for majority companies like ourselves to work. And I think that there is a new realization. I know for me, 
you know, about four years ago when I started on the Comcast project, that client was supportive of anything we could do on the diverse side. And we were able to do outreaches to folks like Blaine. There's a new awakening. And I think you see a lot more majorities feeling that way, that inclusion is a choice. Yeah, I think, Sage, in the old way, owners and CMs, large general contractors, I use them interchangeably, CMs and general contractors, would go out, they design a project, they do all the pre-construction, they do all the cost estimating, and at the end, they would bid out the project, and as part of that bid, they would have an outreach meeting. I think that model has failed. I think that model has proven to be failed, and I have to agree with Mike. It has to be intentional. And so now what we're promoting in this new model is that diverse firms are brought to the table with the owner and with the CM early in the pre-construction so that minority firms, black and minority firms can provide uh, early pricing and are part of that pre-development, pre-construction and planning process, including on the professional services side. And if that happens, that's how we're doing it now with LF Driscoll. And I think that the LF Driscoll model and their diversity initiative should become a national model. Uh, LF Driscoll is bringing in minority firms early in the process to get pre-construction pricing, to talk to uh, cost estimating so that so that minority firms can be part of that whole process, even into giving uh, early prices, giving bids, and being part of that before the outreach meeting. By the time you get to the outreach meeting, it's too late to get on the project. Thank you, Mike and Blaine. Let's get more into what Electrical specifically is doing to improve diversity and inclusion. Mike, can you explain a few of the company's projects going on? Thank you. Sure. So late in 2019, uh, Driscoll was fortunate enough to be honored by our city council for some of our efforts in diversity. And we were given a, a citation uh, from, from city government. And candidly, myself and our president, Max Stahl, went to city hall and received it. For us, we felt like we were getting rewarded for something that we hadn't done enough for. And at that moment, we had decided we were going to do things differently. We had become friends with Blaine and some other leaders in the marketplace. So we decided to expand what we do. One of the biggest ideas we have is we formed an outside Driscoll Diversity Inclusion Council. Blaine sits on that. That council meets quarterly here and advises Driscoll what we can do to be leaders in our community in terms of diversity and inclusion. Our council is represented by all the affinity chambers of commerce, that would be the African, Hispanic, and Asian. We have some supplier diversity organizations, the Eastern Minority Supplier Council, as well as NAMAC. We have a state senator, Senator Donna Bullock, who all advise us on a regular basis uh, on what we can do and be better at diversity and inclusion. And candidly, we have community leaders hold Mac and I accountable for our actions. On top of that, at the same time, we were engaged with the Office of Economic Development with the city of Philadelphia at that time, that it was Director Harold Epps. And we, uh, we pledged to be the first member of their mentor-protege program. You know, with COVID, that, that got a, a slow rollout, but it's rolling out now. And we'll be mentoring in official capacity in association with city government about five firms and help them over a two-year period build their business. Internally, we've taken a, a look at ourselves and we started doing joint ventures. You know, we've, in the last year, uh, two of our major pursuits have resulted in joint ventures with diverse companies, and we've used firms that come from those communities. So we think that that's helpful in showing that at a corporate level, we're committed. And then in terms of our day-to-day -day purchasing, 
we've changed our philosophy and changed up our packaging so that we can have more first-tier uh, subcontractors working directly for us, which is, you know, enable us on like one project to take one part of the project and make the entire portion of that project diverse from every single trade in that area of the building would have been diverse. So we've done a lot. Uh, we want to do more. COVID has really stifled us some, but uh, we're still committed. And we think we're being industry leaders because we know we have outreach from our competitors asking us how we do it. Thank you, Mike. Blaine, I understand you're also on Driscoll's Diversity and Inclusion Council. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like being involved and what are you guys working on? Well, I think that the Driscoll Diversity and Inclusion Council, DDIC, is forward thinking and I think it's industry leading. And one of the reasons why owners are calling Driscoll and other competitors are calling Driscoll is because people are hearing about this Diversity and Inclusion Council. Most diversity councils are internal to that corporation. Most diversity councils are internal to that institution. Driscoll is thinking out of the box and brought in outside vendors like me and Ivan Watson, who co-chairs the DDIC, to talk about how do we get vendors in the, minority vendors in the pipeline? How do we get them working with the estimating department so that they can come in with prices and be in the ballpark so they're not coming in too late with prices and can't get on projects? Driscoll has identified 22 minority vendors that they're working with. And out of those 22 that they're already working with, f approximately five of them are in the mentor-protege program. What happens if the top 20 CMs in the city adopted 22 minority firms? We would begin an ecosystem of work around construction in a city that historically has been very segregated. And so the Diversity and Inclusion Council is forward thinking. It's not just internal people scratching each other's backs and telling them what a good job you're doing because that's the way you get a promotion. It's outside people being real with Driscoll within the parameters that Driscoll can manage. And we're really excited about it. We want it to become a model in, in Philadelphia and New York uh, and, and all up and down the East Coast because it actually works because Driscoll is getting real feedback in real time about what's happening in the marketplace and about what's happening in the minority business community. Yes, it takes a village and that is so true with so many things that we're doing here. Um, I would like to move into something that I think is extremely important when we're dealing with diversity and inclusion, which is creating relationships. I think you both can agree that creating relationships in construction is key and it's important for everyone, but it is especially important when you're dealing with the underrepresented. I know that as a woman of color working in construction management, you come across so many different types of discrimination. It's latent and right in your face and you can't run from it. And then there's the innuendos, the, the soft things that can happen in the background that can impede your progress in our industry. It's not easy, but it, seeing all sides of the situation really gives me a unique perspective of everyone's point of view with this complicated subject. And I'm really interested to hear your take on this subject. Mike, what does a diverse workforce add to a project? How does creating and then building a relationship affect that? You know, when we build a diverse team, we engage more of the community um, and we find out there's more opportunity uh, to better ourselves. I think my life's been enhanced and my career's been enhanced by 
you know, what Blaine has brought to Driscoll in terms of opening our eyes about how we can do things better with diversity. I think it makes us a better company. Initiatives like safety, quality, and diversity can only make a company better at building. So I, I think engaging at the professional level first on a diverse side certainly has a lot of advantages, uh, particularly when you work in an urban environment where you have a lot of diverse community groups and understanding them better uh, can only make you better at what you do. In terms of the workforce, I think that we always need to bring new people in, uh, new, young, exciting people that are enthusiastic about uh, what they're doing every day. I think that the younger generation candidly expects diversity. So, you know, it creates an atmosphere of excitement and positivity that we may not have in, in another generation. So I think, I think diversity in the workforce can bring nothing but a positive. And I think you can look at other industries and you could see that as well. Thank you, Mike. Blaine, would you like to add on? Again, all the, all the studies have shown that diversity leads to increased profits and return on investments. Uh, companies that practice diversity, according to the Wall Street Journal and some other studies that have been done, have a 36% higher return than companies who do not practice diversity. As it relates to Driscoll and the Diversity and Inclusion Council in Philadelphia, we find that Driscoll has a competitive advantage. I'll repeat, diversity gives LF Driscoll a competitive advantage because now when we bid projects with LF Driscoll, we're not just talking about best efforts. We're not just talking about woulda, shoulda, coulda. Driscoll's coming to the table with a diverse team and a track record to show that they're real about diverse in delivering these large projects and small projects and mid mid-sized projects all throughout the region. Thank you. So Blaine, I hear you have a very interesting story about how your relationship with LFB began. Do you care to share? Oh, absolutely. I was I was at a meeting. Uh, that it was the Comcast project, which we're going to talk about later. That's how I met Driscoll probably four or five years ago. They were doing the Comcast project. The Comcast project required a 30% participation rate. And as you know, uh, there's no ecosystem in Philadelphia. We're, we're just start starting to build out an ecosystem. And, and because of Comcast, Driscoll was adamant about going out in the community, doing outreach, and getting minority vendors to work with them. And I was leaving a meeting because I don't like outreach meetings, as you probably figured out by now. And Angela Dow Burton from the city of Philadelphia, she was the city's OEO rep, says to me, did you meet Mike Delaney? And I'm like, no, I'm going home. This is just another outreach meeting. And I, I went, she said, go back in there and stand in line and meet Mike Delaney. I went back in there. I stood in line for 20 or 30 minutes. I got up to him and I introduced myself. And I said, I just need to have a cup of coffee with you. And I just need a shot. And he decided to have a cup of coffee with me. When, he, when we had a cup of coffee, he says, can you provide me one project engineer? And I said, yes. And that's how it started. I provided Driscoll with one project engineer, which ended up being seven project managers on the Comcast project, some of them working for Driscoll, some of them working directly for Comcast. But that's how I met Mike Delaney. And I've been attached to his hip ever since, like his son. Mike? Is that true? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the sun part's not true, but the, uh, the the relationship, how it all started, is is very true. So that that encounter that Blaine talks about, I still remember it because he came up to me and he went to shake my hand, but he also said, "Look, I got carpal tunnel syndrome. Don't kill me here, right?" And uh, so I I shook his hand and I had a good feeling about him 
And I was, I was at a point where I wanted to be better at diversity. And um, I was struggling with the fact that I wanted to do more, but I felt there was this old routine of you had to take bids and pick a low bidder and all that stuff. And on that project, I just decided I was going to go with my gut. And my gut said that this was a good guy. I wanted to give him a shot. And that's why, you know, we brought Blade on. It, I don't think there was a lot of discussion. It was just, we need a guy. Come on, you figure it out. I'll figure it out. And we'll do that. And it's turned out to be a great thing because not only did, did, it, did it work out for Blaine, it's really worked out for Driscoll. Blaine um, has a perspective that helps me learn, helps Mac learn, helps the company learn. He's introduced us into the community, the places we wouldn't have been before to allow us to be better at DNI. And, um, you know, I consider my partner in this journey that we're on. And I think that if there's a time I need advice, you know, Blaine and I talk on the evenings, on the weekends, we're friends. And I, I think that's the way it should be. And I'm hoping this is a model for me and many other folks in the community. Yeah, those are definitely some of the benefits of working together as a majority and minority owned company. You get to see a different perspective of a situation that you're both dealing with. Blaine, do you feel the same working as a small minority owned firm with LF Driscoll? Yeah, well, again, I mean, working on different projects with LF Driscoll changes your perspective. You get to understand their operation, their paperwork and you get to understand how you get paid, and you get to understand how they think about pricing out projects, and you get to look under the hood, and what that does is it builds capacity. We're always talking about capacity, capacity, capacity. Capacity to me means work. So I'm on four projects with Driscoll. I'm friends with Mike Delaney. I consider everybody at Driscoll my friend because they're one of my largest clients. But the reason why we work so easily together is because I had that one opportunity. So I, I did well on that one opportunity. So now I understand the system and it's plug and play. And so, you know, Mike is my friend because we talk so often that we talk about everything. We talk about our families. We talk about what we're doing this weekend. We, we talk about political stuff. If there's a politically charged issue, we, we sort of talk about it together and talk about how we want to attack it. Now we're, we're talking about clients, how to approach clients. We're talking about marketing. So the relationship has blossomed. I don't look at it as a minority-majority relationship. I look at it as a relationship that works. You know, Blaine, you make a really good point. You know, Blaine, in his, his assistance of us on the DNI, he acts as almost as he's a majority. And he's the advocate for other minority firms. He does have a bit of a mentor streak in him. But something that I have noticed is that Blaine's not in it for himself. He, he is trying to create an ecosystem, and he wants to be known for the guy who helped build that ecosystem as much as Mac and I do. So, Blaine, you've actually built an ecosystem like that at BFW. BFW is an extremely diverse group of people. I've worked with many different employees of yours, men, women, people of many different ethnicities, how do you manage that? How do you how do you do that? It's intentional. So we have people from Egypt, from India, African Americans, women. We have people from Dominican Republic, uh, the English speaking Caribbean, Colombia. It, it's just we're just the world. And again, you know, we want to walk the walk and talk the talk. So we have gone out of our way to bring on diverse candidates because we're one of the poster children in Philadelphia for diversity. And so you know, we just hired a, a white architect. 
So it, w diversity cut both ways. <laughs> it cuts both ways. I mean, we have whites, blacks, Latinos, Indians, Egyptians. Everybody is in our firm. We have a staff of 18, and we're growing. And we're proud that diversity is a core value. Our core values are honesty, integrity, teamwork, and equity. That's a core value of ours, and we'll continue to project that way. We don't want to just say we're diverse and then not be diverse. Mike, what do you think Ella Driscoll has done to help remove some of those obstacles that Blaine was discussing a little bit? Well, I think one of the things that we do is there is no pretense with the executive management at Driscoll. We're open to everybody. And when you see Mike Delaney and Max Staub and our other vice presidents in project meetings talking about diversity, asking our staff what's going on, uh, showing up to meet any subcontractor who's looking for an opportunity, not shuffling it down to some junior level for introduction. Um, I think we try to walk the walk, as, as Blaine just said. And I also think that we let people know we're, we're putting ourselves out there and we're willing to be accountable. You know, I get calls from the Enterprise Center and other diverse organizations all the time. I make myself accessible to help them with their membership. And I, I would think that some of the initiatives and some of the people in our company that, that lead diversity, Sage, you're one of them. Um, I think everybody knows Sage, you know, all of our, our key suppliers and in the diversity community. So being accessible, being real, I think is uh, probably the best thing we could do. I agree with you wholeheartedly there. So why don't we talk about all of the different arms in this discussion? We talked about construction management, we've talked about architects and engineers and how we can all be involved. What can an owner of a project do to create difference in diversity and inclusion on their project? Well, let's let Blaine go first because he's pretty passionate about that. And then I'll follow up. It's like I'm a, I'm a dog on a leash and you just you just took off the leash. Um, obviously, we have been advocating in Philadelphia. We don't just advocate with Ella Driscoll. We're industry-wide advocates. So we've been approaching all the owners, the top 10 owners and employers. We've been approaching all the, the, the top 10 CMs and GCs in the city. And we've been approaching the top 10 engineers and architects in the city. And our message is the same. You, you have to, we are encouraging you to, to, to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty as it relates to diversity and inclusion. What has happened historically in the city of Philadelphia is that the owners have a diversity goal and put, they put it all on the general contractor and all on the CM. We're saying that that's not fair. We're saying the owner must take a leadership role in diversity and inclusion. The owner must promote mentorship the owner must promote and encourage carve-outs. The owner must promote and encourage joint ventures because it, without the owner's support and the CM's understanding that this is critical to the owner, it will not get done. It just won't. You know, just following up on what Blaine had to say, uh, to, to a great extent, Blaine is correct that diversity and inclusion was a flow down from clients to contractors. And I think when contractors have the support of the owners and are more engaged with the community, uh, our diversity and inclusion just goes up by a factor of two. Uh, at times, you know, it's not just knowing who the diverse contractors and, and individuals are, it's getting them to be enthusiastic about being on your project. So I can tell you that if you look at a project that has an engaged owner who gives some leeway to the construction manager, general contractor, to be innovative in their purchasing and partnering, 
you'll get greater diversity. And at the end of the day, that's good for the owner too. Um, I see a change in the owners. Um, I'm hopeful on the future that the, all of our owners will be engaged. As am I. Um, so we're talking about our projects, the end result. How do we get more women and minorities involved in construction design and engineering? I'm talking more about the education side of it. Uh, Blaine, have you had any thoughts about what design or engineering and construction firms can do to encourage more women and minorities to pursue careers in this industry? I think everybody has to has to go out of their way and everybody has to has to be innovative. Everybody has to be forward thinking. What BFW is doing, we go out like to Drexel University and now we see a lot of our vendors going out to the trade school out in Delaware County. So we have to start at high school level and encouraging minorities to get into construction or engineering. We have a scholarship program. Um, I'm involved in a nonprofit which which Mike supports, Young Caribbean. And through our scholarship program, I met a young uh, black female civil engineer. We've already told her we're going to hire her. Do I have a job for her? No, I don't have a job for her. But I already made her a promise because we have not met a black female in civil engineer. We're going to hire this person. And if we don't hire her, I'm going to go to Mike and I'm going to say, Mike, you got to hire this person till I can hire her back. <laughs> you know, so, so if, if, if you're not intentional, you cannot find minorities because the field is there's just not an education program. We have to start an education program to encourage minorities to enter construction and engineering and, and architecture. And again, people make six figures. A lot of times in the black community, people think that you have to play basketball or you have to be the CEO to make six-figure income. A lot of people in construction, engineering, and design make really good incomes. I can't find a, a senior scheduler, somebody who does construction schedules, I can't find a senior person who will work for less than $150,000. You just can't. And kids don't know this in college. Kids don't know this in high school. So it, it goes with education, recruitment, and retention. Blaine's absolutely right on the, on the education side. And architecture and engineering does have a lot of diversity in it. But construction doesn't. A lot of that talent goes to design and not towards construction. We need to be better at recruiting the folks that are in school already to come our way. Some of our business seems a little old fashioned and archaic and you know, engineering and architecture seems to be more techy than, than what construction is and we need to work on that. We also need to work on the trades in the fields. We need to do what we can to help the high school kids coming out get into the trades. Number one, they need to be sponsored, they need to be welcomed, they need to be at it, and then they need to be employed. We have some innovative programs with it where we sponsored kids out of high school uh, right into the trades, uh, trying to help them get to a point where they can pass an apprenticeship test and stay within the trade. But there's definitely more effort that needs to be made to attract engineers and architects to come in and work for us, as well as getting young folks into the trades. Yes, we definitely need to advertise a little better and explain what we do. I think we need to remind people of the opportunities available within the building trades. I have one final question for you guys. Local government, how do you feel about getting city or local government, or even the federal government for that matter, more involved in injecting more diversity and utilization of minority and women-owned AEC firms? 
I get so many different mixed opinions about what we think should and could happen. And I'm interested to hear what you both think. I don't think we need any more regulation, but I think the innovative things that we need to do, I think city government needs to do. So I'll give you a couple of great examples. The Meta Protege program that we're participating in is sponsored by the Office of Economic Development in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, having them as a sponsor is a great thing and it's helpful, but they're really relying on private industry to make it happen. And we're excited to be a part of it. The fact that they could create a platform to attract all kinds of institutions across the city to be supportive of it, I think is great. I also think things like we have in Philadelphia, the Rebuild Initiative, which is essentially 100% exclusively diverse companies doing certain size work for the city department of recreation and the free libraries. I think they're great examples of what city government could do to help build that ecosystem. The project rebuild is, is a lot of small opportunities for a lot of folks to build what they need to get some capacity to come and jump on projects for us. Again, I, I have to agree with you, Mike, that we don't need more regulations and we don't need more paperwork. I think a lot of time government response to a problem is to pass another law and force everybody to file another report. We have enough failed reports in diversity and inclusion, and we have enough uh, glossy brochures that say we're doing things that we're not doing. What the government needs to do, and this is where I encourage the government, is to create an atmosphere of innovation, create an atmosphere so that uh, majority firms and minority firms can meet each other and do business together. Let me give you a good example. The Office of Economic Opportunity, years ago, every month would have a networking session where they would bring in three majority firms that are doing business with the city to meet the minority firms. I went to one of those meetings, Mike. This is the second time I got a meeting at a networking event. So again, relationship, relationship, relationship. If the government can set up an atmosphere where vendors who do not know each other can meet each other in a non-bid environment and get to know each other and build a relationship, business can come out of that. Finally, education. The government needs to set up a system in cities like Philadelphia where people can get educated uh, uh, to come into the trades. So, so the, the, the unions have training money the government could partner some of their government training money like Philadelphia Works to take uh, kids out of school, young people out of school, and begin to teach them the trades and to, to get them prepared for the apprentice, apprentice exam. The government can take some of the money at OIC and some of the other training programs, which is Department of Labor money, for our returning citizens, people that are coming out of prisons, to train them to get into the union. The government can create an atmosphere where local unions like Local 332, which is the laborers union, they were supposed to be an entry point into the union and then into the trades. That did not happen. So the government can be like a broker to create an ecosystem for workers and businesses in the construction trade in Philadelphia, in a city that's been most segregated. And there are people like us, like BFW, like LF Driscoll, that are doing our own thing. But the more government support we have, the more leverage we have from the government and from the ownership community would make us even more successful and help us to meet some of our goals. It takes a village. Unless we have everyone's involvement, that's what's going to make this successful. So thank you both for talking with me today about this 
subject, to recap our discussion today, there are a few things that pop out in my mind to create or promote and improve the culture of diversity and inclusion within construction. And first and foremost is leadership buy-in. You have to walk the walk and talk the talk all at the same time. Uh, owner commitment, early purchasing involvement, and creating and building relationships is paramount. Is there anything else that either of you would like to touch on before we sign off? Sage, one thing I, I would just want to say for those who are listening is that you got to give this a shot and you got to let down your guard and you got to really look to make some friends. You know, part of my success at DNI is because I have friends. And look, if you make it personal, you'll be very successful because you don't like to be unsuccessful in your personal life. So if I could give anybody a simple lesson, you know, just make it personal. Try to make a friend. Uh, everything else, the percentages and the, all the other stuff will work itself out. So, um, you know, that's my point of view. And, and, and that's what Mac and I are trying to do with all the things that, all the initiatives we started in 2019 and 2020. And, you know, the proof will be in the pudding in 2022 and 2023 when we see the results of all that. But I have confidence that uh, our level of commitment is going to create a level of success. I agree wholeheartedly with you. We have got to get more comfortable being uncomfortable discussing diversity and inclusion in construction. That is the only way that things are going to move forward, in my opinion. Um, so thank you so much for both being here with me today. And hopefully we can continue to have these kinds of conversations. Um, enjoy the rest of your day, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or the Structure Tone website.